Your film is now ready to be shown. Good morning. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. The United States Congress has before it dozens of bills intended to rein in social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. This raft of proposed legislation is a response to various harms that have come to light over the past few years, including harms to democracy harassment and hate speech, concerns over safety, especially for children, and various ways the platforms reinforce inequities and permit discrimination. One agency in the federal government arguably has the power to take action on these issues with its current authority, the Federal Trade Commission, or FTC. But there are a variety of legislative proposals that would clarify the FTC's role with regard to social media and even provide it with substantial new resources to police the harms these massive companies produce. The NYU Center for Business and Human Rights with which I have collaborated in the past, last month produced a substantial report detailing principles and policy goals intended to clarify the debate in Congress and shape an agenda for the FTC, recommending that Congress direct the FTC to oversee the social media industry under the Consumer Protection Authority that the agency already exercises in its regulation of other industries. To learn more about the report and its recommendations, I spoke to Paul Barrett, the Center's Deputy Director. Paul joined the Center in September 2017 after working for more than three decades as a journalist and author focusing on the intersection of business, law, and society. Here's Paul. I'm Paul Barrett. I'm the Deputy Director of the Center for Business and Human Rights uh, at NYU, and I'm also an adjunct professor at the NYU School of Law. Paul, you've just published with Lily Warnke, Enhancing the FTC's Consumer Protection Authority to Regulate Social Media Companies, a white paper on what more the FTC can do with regard to social media. Why did you publish this now? In connection with a series of papers that I've done over the last uh, several years, um, we've made uh, recommendations um, as to how the problems that uh, we at the Center for Business and Human Rights have identified could be addressed, uh, what the remedies might be. And we started out talking almost exclusively about how the companies needed to regulate themselves uh, more vigilantly, uh, but over time came to realize that this just wasn't happening with sufficient vigor and that we would need, we as a country would need to have the federal government step up and provide oversight for the social media industry um, for the first time. It it is anomalous that the social media industry um, does not have any kind of sustained regulation or oversight from the federal government. And so we began to introduce the idea that perhaps the Federal Trade Commission could do something, Um, but we really hadn't uh, fleshed that out. And we decided that you know, it was really incumbent upon us to be a little bit more specific about the principles that lie behind this notion that the Federal Trade Commission, its consumer protection authority, could provide useful oversight. And so we decided to do this paper and to release it at a time when uh, many different proposals are being considered by Congress. And we hope that this paper provides kind of a, a guide um, to how to think about these proposals um, and perhaps to shape from the many divergent bills that already exist, a, a vehicle that could uh, you know, make some real progress uh, in this area. So you set out about a half dozen general principles um, that are, I guess, constraints for the policy proposals. Can you hit a couple of the highlights of those? Sure. The central idea here is that the FTC already has and has had for generations the authority to uh, protect consumers from unfair and deceptive practices and, and acts um, in, in commerce. And 
the notion here is that that authority can appropriately be enhanced to hold social media companies accountable so that they are not deceptive, so that they reveal how they uh, do their business and how uh, their uh, practices and procedures uh, affect users, uh, and that they're not unfair in the sense that they uh, follow through on the promises that they're already making to their users in the same way that uh, you know a car company promises that there's a, an engine in the automobile. If you buy the automobile and you find that there's no engine in it, well, that's a little disappointing to say the least. If you sign up for a social media platform and it uh, goes into great length as to how it uh, polices that platform to protect you from exposure to uh, unwelcome forms of content, whether it's uh, hate speech or it's misinformation about vaccines or uh, incitement to uh, you know, political violence or pornography, what have you. And then if you find that um, you and others are actually exposed to that type of content, um, well, that's a problem. And it's not clear what the individual person uh, can do in that situation other than uh, to stop using the, the social media service altogether. So consumer protection seems to be a, a vehicle for getting at some of the, the widely felt problems connected to social media. However, as I try to be uh, very blunt about in this paper, this approach requires one to think through very carefully um, how federal involvement with social media uh, will avoid um, First Amendment violations. You know, First Amendment, as we all know, uh, protects against government interference uh, with free speech. Facebook, if it chooses to curate its platform and choose to host certain content but not other content, uh, is perfectly free uh, to do that. The First Amendment has nothing to say about that. However, if the government were to intervene and tell Facebook what it should or shouldn't have uh, on its platform, that would be a big problem. And we, you know, we can't have that. that that's a, a core sin um, within our democratic uh, system, combining the power of government with the power to censor. So our response to that is to try to craft our proposal uh, as one that is entirely procedural and not substantive. So we, we suggest that the FTC can require that if social media platforms um, offer content moderation systems, if they describe policies and enforcement practices, that they need to be held to the promises they make. Uh, but the federal government is not going to, under our approach, prescribe policies. In other words, say what types of, of uh, content should be on a given platform. And it certainly isn't going to get nowhere close to making individual content decisions, decide, you know, deciding that um, this uh, tweet or, or that post or the video over there needs to come down or be kept up. So that's how we uh, attempt to wrestle with it. Those are the sort of the big principles uh, behind the policy recommendations we're making. Just quickly on the, the FTC itself, I mean, we do have, you know, of course, a new uh, FTC uh, chairwoman and Lena Khan and, you know, presumably a a stance at, at FTC that may be a little more activist than we might have seen in past. Are there any stirrings that you see uh, towards any of these particular policy prescriptions um, or, or any activity that you're already aware of in the direction of your recommendations? Stirrings, I think, is the way to put it, but um, you know, dramatic actions, no. As you say, uh, we, we're now uh, have a, a democratic, uh, you know, controlled. Uh, FTC. I mean, it's an independent agency, but it, it, it obviously, uh, you know, Lena Khan, the, the chair is, is appointed by President Biden, and she is well known for being a proponent of strong government regulation, but almost exclusively in the uh, antitrust area, the competition area. That, that's where her expertise lies. 
and she is pursuing, uh, presumably very vigorously, antitrust actions concerning social media, chiefly the the uh, monopolization lawsuit um, pending against Facebook. What is going on on the consumer protection side is a little bit less clear, at least to me, in terms of whether um, they are setting out in any new directions. In theory, some, if perhaps not all, of what we're uh, proposing could be undertaken now. The consumer protection laws exist. The FTC you know, has prescribed uh, powers to investigate and ultimately enforce you know, against violations in, in this area. But I think it's really necessary, um, just given political realities and the history of the FTC, which is to say an agency that has really been beaten down um, both in terms of resources and in terms of uh, court decisions in recent decades, that it gets basically a shot in the arm from Congress in the form of fresh legislation that's, that explicitly says to the FTC, your consumer protection authority includes uh, the ability to provide oversight into this you know, relatively new uh, industry uh, where oversight of a sustained manner is, is lacking. And I think with that kind of wind in its sails, um, the FTC could conceivably move forward. And I think it's very unlikely that they're going to take any type of broad, meaningful action absent that kind of uh, legislative authorization. So the paper really does synthesize in some cases legislation that's already been put forward. It also makes recommendations for some new ideas that you, you think should find their way into legislation. Can you just summarize some of the key proposals uh, as you see them? Sure. Uh, and the way you describe it is uh, entirely accurate. The paper divides into you know two broad areas. The first has to do with uh, the FTC um, presiding over a much broader effort um, than any that exists now to require the social media industry to uh, disclose how its content moderation uh, systems work, what kinds of, of data uh, go into the algorithms that rank and recommend and remove content um, to make uh, that data available both um, to the public and to qualified uh, researchers. Um, you would necessarily, you would not necessarily make all of the data entirely public. There may be information that can't be released that way because of privacy concerns, user privacy concerns. Um, there may be um, aspects of how certain software is designed that is a legitimate proprietary piece of intellectual property. But uh, a lot of this information, I think, could be released publicly uh, that would give users, I think, for the first time, an understanding of why they see what they see, why and how certain content spreads very widely, goes viral, and what mechanisms uh, the platforms are using to decide what kinds of content basically gets elevated, gets promoted, gets amplified. And once that's made public, I think there there would be much more pressure on the platforms to actually justify what they're doing. And if they can't justify it, to consider changing what they're doing. A good example might be the prioritization uh, of user engagement, which is kind of the foundation of how social media platforms operate, how they were designed initially to put in front of people uh, content um, that will keep them on the site and keep them in, and make them interactive, make them like and share and comment on things. But unfortunately, as we've seen, the kind of content that has that sort of engagement pop to it um, is often very sensational uh, content um, that provokes emotions, fear, indignation, uh, and so forth. And out of that, you end up with you know, the kind of harm that we have observed, whether it's hate speech or the promotion of 
political violence. So uh, a big dose of transparency. And in that regard, uh, as you said, I'm really just digesting ideas and synthesizing ideas um, that have been proposed in various pieces of uh, legislation and kind of try to pull those together and describe how they could be made as ambitious as, as possible. Uh, the second big area, which I think is a little bit beyond what you see in, in the pending bills, um, has to do with the FTC requiring that the platforms uh, that have content moderation systems deliver on what they're promising. In other words, if they're telling users that they approach content moderation with a certain degree of, of vigor, accomplishing certain thresholds of you know, removing content that they've defined as being inappropriate for their sites, that they actually do that and that they have clearly articulated the policies they're instituting, made clear how they're enforcing those policies and justifying the enforcement decisions uh, they're making, and making sure also as a matter of kind of due process that there are clear, open, and effective mechanisms for users who are objecting to particular content decisions to appeal those. I would not have them appeal those to the government. The government is not sitting as a an appellate court second-guessing particular decisions, but it's making sure that the system exists as the company uh, has promised that it exists. You know, not entirely different from, say, a a business that says to you, um, we have thoroughgoing uh, cyber security here. If if you give us your credit card and possibly other personal data, we will protect that and, and no one else will see it. And then if it turns out that that company has made those promises, and presumably consumers have purchased their ser- services uh, under that assumption that the protection is not there. And in fact, the credit card information is vulnerable and has actually gotten into the hands of identity thieves or, you know, Russian, uh, you know, cyber punks or whoever. You know, that's a problem. And that's a situation that the FTC can take action on. In fact, the FTC has taken action on just such cases on many occasions over the years. And by analogy, I'm reasoning that it, it's not a uh, an intolerable jump to move from that type of enforcement case to enforcing, uh, making sure that Facebook or YouTube is accountable for the promises that they've made to their users. You also make some recommendations about how to resource the FTC differently to deal with these platforms, including one particular recommendation that has already, I understand, made its way into proposed legislation uh, released. I don't know, right around the same time as the uh, the paper, I believe. Yes, that's right. Uh, Representative uh, Laurie Trahan and uh, Adam Schiff have just in recent days introduced uh, a bill called Digital Services uh, Oversight and Safety Act, um, which I think is a, is a very promising piece of legislation that captures you know a, a number of the aspects of, of what I'm uh, advocating and goes into a great deal more uh, detail. You know, one of the central features of that bill and one that uh, that I am enthusiastic about is the creation of a dedicated um, office or bureau within the FTC that would be specifically tasked uh, with overseeing social media uh, companies and possibly certain other uh, digital companies that would have a substantial staff. The Trahan shift bill refers to a staff of 500 and even breaks it down into sort of certain categories of of expertise, which all of which looks again very promising, and I think they've done a very serious-minded job looking into that with a substantial budget of some five hundred million dollars uh, annually. And I think a move like that is going to be necessary. I, I, don't, I don't. Again, going back to the question we were talking about earlier, um, I, I don't think the FTC is, as currently structured, is likely to be able to mount a sustained effort to uh, oversee this very complicated industry 
uh, unless it has those kinds of resources and has the mandate from Capitol Hill uh, to set out in this direction. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that that legislation you know, seems to move in parallel with the proposals that I've made. I want to make it clear that I did not inspire them in any regards more of a coincidence, a uh, happy coincidence than it is uh, my you know, getting any credit for anything. The Trahan shift bill kind of goes into a great deal of detail, in fact, about what this oversight uh, entity should look like, uh, this new bureau, uh, even going down to naming the types of expertise and the number of types of experts that it would require to, to yeah. do its job. It's ambitious in that regard, uh, and I think that's laudable. You know, of course, you, one has to acknowledge that there will likely be some you know, resistance to adding muscle to the FTC. Uh, from the Republican side of the aisle, but that's going to be true with almost any, you know, regulatory proposal um, in, in pertaining to almost any industry. Um, so you just have to try to, you know, wrestle your way forward. Um, and, and I think, you know, particularly on the topic of overseeing a really uh, systematic program of uh, disclosures and research um, done by uh, certified academic researchers, the uh, Trahan uh, shift bill you know, has a, a lot of really good uh, ideas. And so do several other pieces of legislation, um, frankly, um, that aim in, in very much the same direction, even if they have slightly different methods or procedures uh, in mind. So you do make some comment as well on the proposals to remove liability shields, uh, yeah. the, the uh, Section 230 right. carve-outs, essentially, uh, around particularly harmful content. Which of those are you enthusiastic about? Which ones, you know, are you less so? Those are the more controversial ones, of course, that have been put forward in Congress and, and normally the ones that draw yeah. the most critique. Right. Uh, that's exactly right. You know, so the, the debate over how to rein in social media has, over the last, you know, it's now four or five years, revolved around, in an almost eccentric way, the question of, of the future of Section 230, which is, of course, a provision that protects social media platforms from being sued in connection with content that their users put on the platform and for uh, decisions that the uh, platforms make in terms of taking material down or not taking material down. The argument has been over, you know, to what degree is uh, Section 230 providing too much of a uh, a wall that behind which the social media companies can hide um, from accountability. From but it's accountability in the form of lawsuits. Um, so in fact, while I'm not dismissing it as as an irrelevant or unimportant question, it, it, you know, re- reforming Section 230 does not lead one to any kind of systematic government oversight, or for that matter, a systematic oversight by anybody. It exposes potentially companies to liability for certain categories of lawsuits um, that right now they are, for the most part, uh, shielded from. I I see reforming Section 230 as an important issue, but as an adjunct to the approaches we've been talking about so far, an adjunct to, uh, you know, enhancing uh, consumer protection authority. And and I have, you know, two two basic thoughts on it. One is uh, that Congress should make clear that if the FTC is going to be getting uh, a little bit more energetic in this area, that its enforcement actions will not be uh, blocked by Section 230. So there'll be a clear path for the FTC to act if it feels it's justified to act uh, under the consumer protection law. Uh, And then second, as you said, uh, there are a number of proposals for carving out uh, exceptions to 
Section 230 that would state it in an affirmative sense, allow lawsuits in connection with certain categories of harmful content to move forward against the platforms. So you could have a carve out for lawsuits that say that content on Platform X contributed to uh, you know, material support for terrorism, but since we can't get our hands on the terrorist bad guys, we're going to sue the platform instead. And now we have an exception to Section 230 that allows that lawsuit to go forward. Not that the lawsuit would necessarily prevail, but that it could get on track. My view of that is that if Congress uh, can come to some type of consensus on a couple or three uh, categories of harmful content that uh, lawmakers uh, believe that they need to create a sort of like an extra incentive for the companies themselves to be vigilant about that kind of problematic uh, material, then they should, you know, they should do that. I mean, I don't think that that like solves the overarching problem, but if there's material related to terrorism on platforms, and you know, that, that could be one example. If hate speech is what you're uh, concerned about, that could be another legitimate example. Exactly which carve outs, you know, are the best ones, you know, in some ways is, is a somewhat arbitrary, arbitrary choice. And I think that finally on this, on this score, there is legislation, uh, several bills actually, that talk about uh, reforming Section 230, but that train their attention on content that the uh, platform has uh, algorithmically amplified. In other words, the platform could be held liable for a certain category of, of harmful content, but only if, if the platform had you know, recommended or otherwise amplified the content as opposed to merely the content sort of residing on the platform. I think that's a, a very reasonable limitation to the adjustment of Section 230, um, because what you really want to have the platform uh, do is to be sort of self-conscious and aware of what it is doing to amplify uh, harmful material. Um, the fact that some no-good Nick may have posted something um, that the platform happens not to have caught uh, initially, um, and then it does some harm, it seems like a lesser problem than the platform actually intensifying the problem by taking a piece of harmful content and blasting it out into everybody's uh, feed. Of course, some of the bills that do propose carve-outs for Section 230 also come chocked with other problematic bits and pieces, which make them maybe harder to consider. That's very true. Um, and that's at least in part a reflection of the fact that there are very different motivations behind the 230 bills to, to sort of categorize them very crudely. You, know, you, you have Democratic-sponsored bills that are motivated by a concern that the platforms are not taking down enough dangerous material. And then you have Republican-sponsored bills that are motivated by the perception anyway that the platforms are biased against conservatives and are taking down too much stuff. And so more content should be left up, in large part because of the clash of those motivations. Uh, you have uh, kind of the, uh, uh, the, the demolition derby of, of, of Section 230 bills um, that, that we've witnessed over the recent years. Yeah, I'm not sure whether Congress is going to be able to sort through all of that and come up with something that makes sense. Although I think that there's, it, it is possible that we would see a bipartisan, a very narrow bipartisan bill that created an exception to, to Section 230 uh, liability shield in, in connection with you know, something like, like child pornography. There's a bill in the Senate that has actually made it out of the Senate Judiciary Committee that focuses on that. And there, I think you can find uh, bipartisan agreement. 
Paul, uh, anything that didn't make it into the paper that uh, you, you find yourself thinking about uh, when you think about the Federal Trade Commission? I mean, you, yeah. you have some focus on, uh, you know, some of the civil rights concerns about the platform. So there's some, you know, very obvious discrimination that goes on uh, on these platforms with regard to their their advertising, mm-hmm. uh, in particular, and and other things that uh, have resulted in very straightforward discrimination for consumers. What else would you? I don't know if you if you had another. Well, a couple, couple of months to dig in. What would you focus on? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I would do that much better a job with, with another couple of months. I may have you know, shown you the best I could do here. But on the subject of, of discrimination in particular, uh, of course, you're, you're absolutely right that you know, for years there's been, there have been problems on the very popular uh, sites, uh, Facebook and others, in areas like housing, um, where people posting uh, information about housing opportunities Uh, do so in a discriminatory way or filter um, applications in a discriminatory way. And and some of that's been been well documented. And Section 230 has, in fact, been a a hindrance to uh, ridding platforms of those problems uh, because housing, uh, fair housing advocates have had to go after the individuals who post the allegedly discriminatory material as opposed to going after Facebook and saying, you, Facebook, have to be held accountable for all of this on your platform, figure out a way to get it done. And, you know, it is conceivable that, that, there, could, that there would be a, a very good basis for exposing a Facebook to that type of liability and breaking through Section 230 for the purposes of discrimination-related uh, civil claims. Um, that would be, it seems to me, a, a reasonable step forward. The one other thought thought I have, which I mentioned uh, briefly at the beginning of the paper, um, but I think it's really important to remember, particularly once you've gotten into all the details where you, it can kind of get a little uh, thick and thorny, is that none of this ultimately will work unless greater industry vigilance is in fact incentivized by the government activity. It's just really important to remember that we cannot propose that the government will police social media platforms, whether it's today's social media platforms in two dimensions or tomorrow's, uh, you know, with the metaverse and, and, and all of that. In our country, the, the government does not go after people who say nasty things on, on the street corner. You know, unless you're threatening somebody with violence, um, you're, you know, you're, you're free to, to say damaging things. You're free to say um, that uh, vaccines uh, don't work and you shouldn't get, get them even in the middle of a lethal uh, pandemic and so forth. So that the type of, of oversight that I'm proposing, the type of oversight that um, the various uh, bills pending in Congress are proposing, all of those in the end are at the most creating incentives for the companies themselves ultimately to behave better, to be more vigilant, to take more responsibility, and possibly to uh, reconsider and rebalance the relationship between um, their uh, profit motive, what they need to do to get the advertising dollars that they want uh, against public interest in you know, the safety of their users and the potential uh, harms to you know, democracy from the widespread use of their services. We have seen those bad side effects. That's why we're talking about this. We have many people have called on the companies to reform themselves. The companies have frequently uh, done kind of a uh, a soft shoe dance, you know, a step forward, um, but I'm not going to go there and all kinds of excuses and, and temporizing. That's why I think government involvement is important. But in the end, only these companies have either the technological capacity or in a constitutional sense, the authority 
to say what goes on their platforms. Um, and I think that's a really important, important point. And a, a concern that, uh, well, I mean, I don't even know quite what to say about that. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever, ever quite get there with these current platforms. But, May but. not. And, and, and I think these problems are only going to get more complicated with the new generation of platforms. I mean, I, I just I wrote a, an op-ed piece about this to go along with this, this paper in which I, I pointed out that the strongest argument for the government building capacity now to do oversight of social media is the next form of social media, the metaverse which is going to be even more complicated to uh, supervise. I mean, you're going to have avatars talking to each other. Can, can artificial intelligence like listen to them? Will, will it be able to detect problematic conversation of that sort? Now, uh, having uh, automated systems you know, keep track of what's going on in text exchanges, okay, they figured that out to a lesser degree with images. But what about the communication in this new uh, lifelike metaverse where these, these expressions are going to be fleeting? It seems to me that's even more of a challenge. If you're worried about people planning a January 6th style insurrection on social media today, I, it seems to me the danger is even greater tomorrow. And, and how will, who will be looking over their shoulder and how? Paul, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Hope you'll send your feedback. You can write to me at justin at techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones. Thanks to Paul Barrett. And thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.